We're starting a new series today called This Great God, and I want to share with you where that comes from. Um, several years ago, before I was pastor um, or anything like that, I was sitting in my office and, and I was thinking about some of the great Bible stories that I was taught as a child. And, and it dawned on me that the older I got and got married and became a dad and all that kind of stuff, the, the, it seems like the easier it was to forget those incredible stories of the faith. And I remember way back then making a commitment that if God, if, if I ever had an opportunity that, that I would bring back, and not, not that I would bring them back because they've always been in the Scripture, but I would try to bring them back to, to our, the front of our mind, to, 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 to real time. I remember at Westside Baptist Church is where I grew up, and, and I remember in 1979, uh, my Sunday school teacher was Mrs. Childress. And I remember her sitting down in front of the classroom. Uh, that building is not there anymore, but I can even see the classroom and remember exactly everything about it. And I remember Mrs. Childress sitting down, and we sat in those old wooden chairs. Some of y'all remember those. We sat in old wooden chairs in a little circle, and Mrs. Childress would share a Bible story. And I remember her telling us about Daniel in the lion's den, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and David and Goliath. And, and I remember just being awed at how great God is. And I hope over the next few weeks that we will just take another look at how great God is. One of the things that, that's kind of sad to me is that, that probably in this room right now, they're probably children who've never heard the story of David, and, of David and Goliath. I started to say Davy and Goliath. Some of y'all remember that was a cartoon that came on on Sunday mornings called Davy and Goliath. Some of y'all said, unfortunately, there's adults in this room or watching on the internet or on TV that don't know the story of David and Goliath. Now, you might know it in, in, a, in a trivial sense and, and that over time you've heard people say, well, that's a real David and Goliath type story. But somehow, including myself as Christians, we forget these great, great stories of the faith. And I want to be upfront and honest. The same God that delivered David when he fought Goliath the same God that, that delivered Daniel in the lion's den, the same God that delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that great God knows your name. And he knows what you need. He knows what you need right now. Some of you in this room, all of us in this room, we, we have needs. Some of us, some of us, our needs are huge. And we're sitting there thinking, it, it's even hard to listen to me. It's hard to take in the lights because, because there's something going on in your life. I want you to know that the great God that delivered those that I've already mentioned knows your name and He knows your need. And He is big enough to deliver you right now. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to look at this great God and His... And His uh, in the story of David and Goliath. 
As you turn there, I want to just uh, tell you, you know, everybody, everybody likes an underdog story. Okay, I mean, that's just kind of, a lot of movies are made up of underdog stories, and, and they always make you feel good. There, there, there was a true underdog story in 1980s Olympics. Some of y'all already know where I'm going with this. In 1980s, it's called The Miracle on Ice. Disney would go on and make a movie about it. It's still been talked about. Uh, it's one of the greatest hockey, uh, Olympic hockey, if not the greatest hockey events. It's one of them. Sports Illustrated said it was the, the event of the, the century. And in 1980, the USA hockey team didn't stand a chance to do anything really good. But as they began playing, they began winning. Their first game, they started out, they tied their very first game, and then they started winning and winning and winning and winning. And they were the total underdog, and, and, and it was kind of like a snowball. As the snowball rolls down a mountain, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, their, their momentum and, and their following got bigger and bigger as they continued to win. And then it got to the famous miracle on ice. United States versus uh, the Soviet Union. America took the lead and, and, and they held the lead. And, and I remember watching the game. I remember watching the game in real life. Some of y'all, this will blow you away. In real life, I watched the game on a 13-inch black and white TV, okay, that was like this big and weighed a million pounds. Okay, now we have 75-inch ones that weigh 40 pounds. I remember watching that and... and, and Google it, okay? Check it out. Because at 10 seconds left in the game, the announcer lost all class and just showed that he was a proud American. 10 seconds left in the game, he says, do you believe in miracles? Why? Because the underdog Americans won. Everybody loves an underdog, underdog story. In fact, people like underdog stories so much, they seldom remember that the USA versus the Soviet Union was not even for the gold medal. They would go on and beat Finland in the gold medal round. But that, was, that, that encapsulated the 1980s Olympics. In 1999, St. Louis Rams, they had, they had drafted a, a new quarterback. His name was Trent Green. And before the season even started, Trent Green blew his knee out, was not going to be able to play. And there was this old washed-up quarterback. He was never good enough to play in the NFL. He played for NFL Europe, and then he played uh, in, uh, arena football. And on a last dig that he was actually, if I remember right, he was stocking groceries in a warehouse. He got a call. St. Louis Rams asked him to come play. They were never expecting him to play because Trent Green was going to do everything that they needed. In practice or in a preseason game, I don't know which one it was, Trent Green blew his knee. Some of y'all remember their coach, Dick Vermeil, holding a press conference, literally crying. And he said this, he said, we're still going to play good football. Well, if you're an NFL fan, what he was really saying is, well, we're going to try not to get beat by 100 every time. And tears. And then he said, we, we have Kurt Warner. Well, Kurt Warner kind of took exception to the fact that, that they were just going to play good football. And so he decided to do something different. He decided he would play his heart out. And lo and behold, their season ended at... Uh, Three, uh, nine and three, I believe. No, 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 no. They actually did better. Anyhow, doesn't matter. Look it up. They went on to the playoffs. And in the playoffs, they began getting momentum. And, and, and my wife, 
my wife became a great Kurt Warner fan, and, and I'm not going to lie, I loved Kurt Warner too because he was just, he, he was a great guy, very strong Christian man, but he wasn't supposed to be there. Trent Green was supposed to be there, and when Trent Green blew his knee out, they were just supposed to play good football. Next thing you know, they're in the Super Bowl. And they would go on and win the Super Bowl, the underdog story. In fact, that is one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. It had two underdogs in there, and everybody loved it. And, and, in fact, there's plays that are named after it. Kurt Warner, they, they, they drove the field to take the lead with about a minute and a half left, and then they were playing Tennessee Titans. If I remember right, Tennessee Titans drove the field. They got to the six-yard line. There's about 14 seconds left, and uh, their quarterback hands the ball off and he runs and they made a tackle on the three yard line that tackle is now called the tackle you can google that later okay everything about it has names why because it was the great 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 underdog story the star trent green didn't get to play and this scrubbed up old quarterback named kurt warner came on the scene and literally just changed the game it was it was an incredible incredible story. We love an underdog story, and today when we look in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to see an underdog story. You and I, we look at Kurt Warner and say, that was really cool, but it really has no bearing on you, on you and I. Or we look at the 1980s hockey team, and we see the great victory. They had the miracle on ice with the announcer saying, do you believe in miracles? It's a great story, but it really has nothing to do with you and I. Today's story has everything in the world to do with you and I. Let's look at, at 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read the first 10 verses and then we're going to pause. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Succoth in Judah and camped between Succoth and Azkah in Ephsdamon. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on, a on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with the ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall and he wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor, there was bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point on his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come out and line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man who can fight who, so we can fight each other. Let me pause there. I want you to see what's going on. They're lining up for battle, kind of like what we see in the, the movies from the Civil War and stuff. They're, they're on one hill. The Israelites are over here. The Philistines are over here. There's a valley in the middle. And they come up and they line up and they're getting ready to fight. And out of the ranks comes this giant. Some of your 
Some of your Bible says that he's six cubits in a span. Theologians break that down and tell you that's nine feet, six inches tall. If you like basketball, to put things in reference, that's two feet, four inches taller than Shaquille O'Neal. Some of you will remember the Dallas Mavericks had a player named Sean Bradley. Sean Bradley, he was so tall, the, the, the Star-Telegram did a special on him, and it took him three Sunday papers to give you a handout to show you how tall he was. If you remember Sean Bradley, Goliath was two feet taller than him. So here's this giant, and they're lining up. They're getting ready to, 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 to go to battle, and out walks this giant. Scripture calls him a champion. Now, that, that, that word's used only once in the, in the Old Testament here that's, that we get the word champion from. In the, Old, in the Newer Testament, it's used other times, and, and really what we understand it to be is, is he was a warrior. But because he stepped out of the ranks and he called the Israelites out, he was, he was the stud warrior. He was the one that, that got everybody's attention. Imagine this, guys. First of all, you also need to remember Israel's king. His name is Saul. If you were to go back over to, to um, Sam, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, listen, this is the description of Saul. There is an influential man of Benjamin named Kish, son of Abel, son of Zerah, son of Berakoth, I'm sorry, uh, Bekroth, son of Aphia, son of ben, uh, the son of a Benjamite. And if you continue to read that just a little bit further, it says his name is Saul, and he's a head taller than everyone else in, the, in Israel. So, so we, the king of Israel is the biggest guy, and out walks this man who's nine feet tall, six inches, and says, look, let's quit playing. I, I'm paraphrasing, okay? Let's quit playing games. You put your best out here, and I'll fight them, and whoever wins, the loser is a servant. He calls them out, this giant. And every day, these Israelites had to see the giant. Let me read a little bit further. I'm going to skip down to verse 20. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had instructed him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle, lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. How they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from, from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from, them, from him terrified. Previously, an Israelite man declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make, a household, make the household of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the, I'm sorry, what will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, I don't know if you write in your Bibles. If you write in your Bibles, you might put a little asterisk beside verse 26 because that's a significant, significant verse. I want you to see the scene. One more time, they're going out. Every morning, they're going out, and they're, they're getting rallied. They're ready to go to war. Scripture says that they're, they're, they're saying their battle cry as they go out. And honestly, as I read this, I don't know what they were thinking because it says again and again that, that Goliath did this. So maybe they're going out there, and y'all, this is a maybe, okay? Don't, don't put any weight in this. But maybe they're going out there, and they're saying, okay, maybe, maybe last night Goliath died, and we have a chance. But then, as they're lining up, out walks the giant again. David, his dad, David's dad, Jesse, says, look, I need you to take supplies. So he takes some supplies, and he happens to get there right at the right time. He gives the supplies to the quartermaster, and he goes up there and asks his brother how they're doing. They're all ready. to. They're lined up in battle array, and then out walks the giant. Scripture tells us that they're, they're all terribly afraid. Many of you have giants in your life and you can relate to David right now because when the giant rears its head, you get afraid. But listen to what David said. Verse 26 is paramount to understanding this. I want to read it and then I want to highlight the part. David spoke to, to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Listen to this. Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here's why this verse is so important. Because David was not saying, look, I can go out and whip him. We're going to see in a few minutes that David was a really, he was a tough dude. But he was not saying, look, I can go out and whip him. What he saw was that this man was not in a covenant with God. And David knew that, that the Israelites were. So when he said, who is this uncircumcised man? I can hear my mom saying something like this when she would look at me and say, who do you think you are? Moms, have y'all ever said that? My mom, my mom was famous for saying that. I'd come in and say something and it was probably wrong. And she would look at me and say, who do you think you are? And I know that in the back of her mind, she was thinking just like, uh, oh, I can't remember who's famous for saying it, but in the back of his, her mind, she's thinking, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. David looked at this guy and saw that there was not a relationship with God and he said, who do you think you are? Read the, second, the very last few words. Who does this man think he is that he can challenge the living God? There was a giant, but David knew that the giant could be beat. Let's read a little bit further. Verse 31, and, and, and I'm skipping around. Please go back. Take the time. Go back and read it because it's a beautiful story. Verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he, so he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. I love this picture. Here was a kid that was too young to be in the army or else he would have been there. 
He was nothing but a food runner. He was the gopher. And Jesse says, here, take these guys some snacks. And he goes up there and he sees the giant. And he says, who is this uncircumcised dude? Who does he think he is that he would challenge the living God? People around him heard it. And they go to Saul. Saul was the king. Remember, Saul was a head taller than everyone else. Interestingly enough, while he was a head taller than anyone else, he was the one that was offering all the benefits for killing Goliath. He said, whoever kills him can marry my daughter, and whoever kills him can be exempt from taxes. And in that day and time, y'all, that was huge because that put you on a level playing field with the king. Not as far as power goes, but as far as benefits goes. He he was saying this, look, if you take care of this, not only do you get to marry my daughter, you're going to be on a level playing field with me when it comes to benefits. David was not the least bit afraid. And again, it wasn't because David was some sort of stud, although he did some pretty cool things. He knew God's favor. And he knew God's favor was on him. And he knew that God's favor was not on Goliath. Verse 40. Uh, well, let me explain something, then we'll jump to verse 40. So, so Saul, Saul hears it and says, hey, bring him in. We, we'll get this taken care of. And in comes David, and, and, and David, Saul looks at him and is like, really? You're not even old enough to fight in the army or else you would be. And, and, and besides that, you're, you know, you're not too tough looking. Scripture tells us that he was handsome. He was ruddy looking. He was young. But Saul said, okay, that's fine. And gave him his armor, and he put the armor on. And it weighed him down. And so he said, hey, I'm not wearing it. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to fight God. There's an interesting little thought here. David knew where the victory was going to come from. The victory was not going to come from the armor. The victory was not going to come from his ability. The victory was going to come from God. And he knew that. Over here you have the nine-foot-tall, six-inch giant. Scripture goes into detail about his armor because he was so big. 125 pounds of armor. The, the, the shaft of his spear was like a, a weaver's beam. The head of the spear, the spearhead, 15 pounds. Now I believe, I, I may be wrong, and, and if you know, know differently, correct me after the service, but I believe that, that in the Olympics, the shot put that they throw, the men, I believe they throw a 12-pound shot put, I think. His spearhead was three pounds heavier than that. This dude was bad to the bone. And David looks at at King Saul and says, Saul, I'm not going to wear your armor. And in his thought process, God is the source of the victory. Now let's look at it. I love this. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give, you, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the, and the wild beasts. I love this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a dagger, a spear, and a sword. 
but I come against you in the name of Yahweh of hosts. The God of Israel's armies, you have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down, cut your head off, and give, your, give the corpse of the Philistines to the camp, uh, to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. I can see the battle scene. Goliath, nine feet tall, six inches, is insulted at how small David was. Again, I can hear those words. Who do you think you are? Nine feet tall, six inches. 125 pounds of armor, spearhead that weighs 15 pounds. He has a, 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 a shield bearer that goes in front of him and out walks David. Scripture tells us that David had previously killed a bear with his bare hands and killed a lion with his bare hands. David had some confidence, but his main confidence was in God, was in Yahweh. And that giant looked at him and said, Really? You're going to come out here against me. Let's look at the rest of the story. Verse 48. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The, stun, the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with the sling and a stone. Even though David had no sword, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. What an incredible story, y'all. What, what, what an awesome, epic battle. But don't be confused. The epic battle was God's from the very get-go. Scripture goes on to tell us that he didn't even have a sword, so he took Goliath's sword and cut Goliath's head off. He defeated Goliath without the armor, without the javelin, without the dagger, with none of that, with one stone, he defeated the giant. God was all over it. And I know today, sitting here, many of us have giants in our life right now. You may even be thinking about them right now. You may even be thinking, but Craig, how does this apply to my giant? Let me give you the main point today, and I hope this really drives it home. It's not the size of the giant in your life it's the size of the God who saved your life. It's not the size of the giant. And I don't know what your giant is. It's not the size of it. It's the size of the God who saved your life. I want to give you a visual reference. I came in here. I, I was actually going to bring a, a board that was nine feet tall, six inches, and, and stand it up so you could see how big it was. But I'm not going to have that every Sunday. So I want to give you a visual reference. When you come in here, maybe you come in here and in and, and the Sundays to come, okay? Hopefully from Sunday, from this day forward, you will never have another problem in all your life. Okay? I hope that. But on days when you come in here and you're scratching your head and you're like, God, where are you? I need you. I want to give you a visual reference so that when you're up here, you don't have to listen to me. You can look and see the size of Goliath and know that little David beat Goliath. If you were to look over here on this side of the room or on that side of the room, uh, at the screen, 
you'll see the crown molding, uh, the lower crown molding, and you go up and you'll see another line that goes across. That is nine feet, six inches. I'm six foot one. Average height is about five nine. So let's just assume David's somewhere between there. If I stand over there and look at that, what an incredible giant. And David, through God's help, took care of business. It's not the size of the giant in your life. It's the size of the God that saved your life. Boxers understand this. I, I, I remember when boxing was really, really popular, and, and there would be these, these great fights. And I always remembered, how on earth do you get up enough nerve to get in a ring and, and know that somebody, their whole desire is to knock you goofy, to beat the tar out of you? How, how on earth do you do that? Well, I, I, I've watched them. I had a friend that, that was a boxer. First of all, I'm going to tell you, including my friend, most of them aren't real smart. I've never known a neurologist that started off as a boxer. Okay, let's just be honest about that. But what they do is they watch video. And in fact, in their post-fight interviews, this comes out. They'll watch a video, and you'll hear them say something like this. Well, you know, I knew he was susceptible to a left hook. So I'm going to get in the ring with him, and I know that it's going to be scary, but when the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to give the left hook. And when I give the left hook, it's going to win. Let me tell you something. When we face the giants in our life, we need to know that it's not the size of the giant. It's the size of the God that saved our life. Who knows how tall David was? I don't. But I know that the Goliath was nine feet, six inches, and I can see that. And God delivered him. Let me give you a truth. And this is a very, very important truth. And I'm going to explain why here in just a minute. Don't judge the size of your giant by the size of a giant in someone else's life. I hope you will remember this. This sounds cold and calculated. It's not. Don't judge the size of the giant in your life by the size of the giant in someone else's life. And here's why. That leads to being defeated. You, we will have a defeatist mentality if we do that. I, I, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I'm going to tell you exactly what it sounds like. It sounds like this. How on earth can I worry about the fact that my car is not running well when my friend is worried about losing his job? And we start saying, well, my friend's worried about losing his job, so I, I just can't worry about my car not running. You want to know the truth? Those are both giants. And God is big enough to handle both of them. Don't judge the, the size. Of, don't judge your giant by the size of someone else's giant. They're both giants. If it's a giant to you, it's a giant. Pray for your friend. Pray for you. Let me give you a scripture that, that, that is beautiful. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-7. through seven. Listen to this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on Him, because He cares for you. We talked about this this morning in Sunday school. About, you know, why is it that we pray for some things and we don't pray for others? And the answer that came up is an answer that all of us can relate to, and probably 99.99% of us believe. I'm not going to bother God with my simple things because he's too busy. 
Let me tell you how that leads to defeat. And my simple thing, you know, I'm not going to bother God with my simple thing because he's got so much more to worry about with so-and-so. You know what that does to you? That begins to make you think, well, there's something wrong with me because this giant in my life is really consuming me. But man, it's nothing compared to so-and-so's. And it just consumes you. Okay? Don't judge the size of your giant by the size of someone else. God is big enough. And get this verse, cast all of your cares on him. That little word, A-L-L, is one of the biggest words in the dictionary because it's all. Cast all of your cares on him. If you lose your keys, cast them on God. If your dog is sick, cast them on God. Cast that concern on God. If you have a family issue, cast that concern on God. If you have a health issue, cast that concern on God because His Word tells us to cast all of our cares on Him. And the giant in my life is probably not the giant in your life. And the giant in your life is, not the, is probably not the giant in someone else's life. And they may may be of all varying sizes, but they're all giants. And here's the beautiful thing of it all. God is big enough to take care of all of them. Cast all your cares on God. Let me give you another truth. Giants should cause us to focus on God, not the giant. When a giant's in our life, whatever it is, Father God, I'm having a work issue. Lord, I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. Or Father God, my, my, my child, they haven't called me in three weeks. Those giants should direct our attention to God, not the giant. This is not easy. I'm also going to tell you that our natural inclination is to look at the size of the giant. One of the coolest truths that I discovered when I was studying this, and you check me up on it, Go back and read David's response to to Goliath. Do you realize that not one time did Goliath say to, uh, did David say to Saul, hey, Saul, I'll go out and I'll take care of nine foot six inch Goliath. He never once said, I'll go out there and take care of that giant who has a, a spear that weighs 15 pounds. I'll go out there and take care of that giant who comes out. He never once said that. Why? Because he was never once looking at the giant. He was looking at the God who promised deliverance. You and I, we have a tendency, or at least I do. We have a tendency to look at the giant and say, oh, poor pitiful me. When we should have David's mentality, who does he think he is that he's going to call out the God who delivered me? Let me give you one more truth and then we'll be through. In God's power, the giant can be defeated. Under your own power, the giant will defeat you. We hear this in sports. We hear it quite a bit in sports. You'll hear hear them say, well, it may sound something like this. Well, the Cowboys, they're not mathematically out of it. And what that means is that that the Cowboys still have a hope, but they need help from other people. And then sometimes they'll go on and explain it. Well, if if, if Seattle beats the Giants and we can get the Redskins to lose twice and something else, then the Cowboys are in. What that means is the Cowboys can't do it on their own. They've got to have help. They understand it. You and I, 
when we look at the giant in our life, whatever it is, if we try to take it on on our own, we're going to fail. David understood this. He never recognized the size of the giant. He just said, who does this dude think he is? His boss, King Saul, and the other warriors of that time, they did the exact opposite. Read the scripture. It says that, they, that, that when Goliath would come out, that they would go away disappointed because they saw the size of the giant. But David, this little shepherd guy, everybody's little compared to someone who's nine foot tall. This shepherd guy never acknowledged his size. He just said, who does this guy think he is? I don't know what your giants are. I believe that probably most of us have giants in our life. Don't judge the size of your giant by someone else's. And and, and don't, don't look at the giant, the size of the giant, and evaluate that. Look at the size of the God who loves you. So we look around the room, we see all the lights, Christmas trees. I had a Christmas party this week, uh, this past Friday night. Many of you will go to work Christmas parties. And sometimes we lose sight of what we're celebrating, but let me tell you what we're celebrating. We are celebrating a loving God sending His only Son to come and live a perfect life so that He could die a sinner's death so that you and I could have hope. That is the love of this great God. And through a relationship with Him, we can face the giants. Maybe your giant is a wayward grandchild or a wayward child. Maybe your giant is some sort of addiction. Maybe maybe your giant is something that you just hope and pray nobody ever figures out. Maybe your giant is obvious. I don't know what it is, but you have two options. You can face the giant like David did and call out to the living God who sent his son. And we can face the giant in God's power or we can do like Saul and other of the Israelites and try to face it on our own. And when the giant rears up, we're going to turn tail and run and be defeated. Today, as we come to a time of invitation, I I just want you to think about your giants. Sometimes thinking about giants is is painful. I appreciate Ashley's testimony. We're going to see some other testimonies throughout this series. And what I know is the common denominator of those testimonies where there's victory. At some point in time, they had to face the giant and offer it to God. And today, whatever the giant is in your life, I want you to offer it to God. Don't ever again call it a nine foot, six inch giant. It's a giant that God can defeat, no matter what it is. One message of hope, real quick. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the very first step of defeating the giants in your life, whatever they are, is to trust Him as your Lord and Savior.
And if you've not done that in just a second, I'm going to be standing right here. Staff will be right over here. Come down and grab one of us by the hand and say, I need to trust Jesus. We'll pray with you. We'll celebrate with you. Every Wednesday night, we pray for this very moment. So don't be embarrassed. We've prayed for it. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, as I bet many of you are, Craig, I do have a giant in my life, and this is my giant. Maybe you want to come. You don't have to share that with me. If you want to, I'll listen. You can talk to one of our staff. But maybe you just need to come and and kneel here. Is there there any magic in walking down here? Absolutely not. But I tell you, it's humility. David, when he saw the giant, he he didn't call out on his own strength and say, you know what, I whipped a lion, I whipped a bear. He talked about that, but he didn't call on that. He called on God, which was an act of humility. Maybe in this time you need to come down here and just say, God, here's my giant and I'm leaving it with you. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for this powerful, powerful passage, Lord. Father God, I I go back to 1979, and I thank you, Lord, for Mrs. Childress teaching me. And Father God, I pray that you would forgive me for all the times that that I face giants, and I'm like, oh, poor pitiful Craig, what am I going to do? When all the while in your word, we read great stories of victory, of epic battles where you defeated the enemy. And Father God, for my friends here today who, who even in this moment are thinking about the giants in their life, I pray, Lord, that in this moment, that either where they are or that they would come down here to the, the front, I pray, Lord, that they would offer those giants to you. And Father God, for my friends here today that have never trusted you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that they would realize that the very first step to take is to trust you. Father, I ask that you be honored and glorified during this time. In your holy name I pray, amen. Would you please stand?